0: The podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. Good evening. Last week, we ended the story on a cliffhanger. We've been studying the book of Esther. And like all good stories, the book of Esther has plot twists and reversals and intrigue with events that happen behind the scene that only the reader sees, and some really good cliffhangers. So here's a quick recap of chapters one to halfway through chapter four, where Richard left the story last week. Esther has become the new queen of Persia by being married to the king. Esther has been married off to King Xerxes, who is powerful and fickle and able to be influenced by some evil people. But the new queen has a secret. Esther is a Jew. Her secret Jewish name is Hadassah. But only Esther, her cousin come father figure Mordecai, and us, the readers, know this. No one else in the story knows this. Esther's true identity is unknown. For five years, Esther lives with a secret, just like Mordecai wanted her to do. Really, she belongs to the people of Israel. She's part of the people of Israel her heritage is with them the people who had been captured 70 years earlier they've been captured by the Babylonians but now the Persians are in charge so some of the people have been allowed to go back to Jerusalem about 42,000 they're the people you read about in the book of Ezra but large numbers have stayed in the persian empire as immigrants perhaps more than a million of jews million jews living in persian lands and probably thousands in the capital city of susa which is where most of the story of esther takes place in the 5th century bc So we've reached a point in the story where through intrigue and influence and hatred, the Jews in Persia are in real peril. They're under threat of annihilation. Haman, who's a powerful advisor to the king, wants them annihilated. And he has persuaded the king to send out an edict that on a certain day, all the Jews will be killed because of this edict. Mordecai is in open mourning for the Jewish nation. He's desperate, wailing loudly and bitterly. But Mordecai has influence over Esther. I mean, he's looked after her because she has no parents. And Esther, he thinks, has influence over the king. She is queen after all. So Mordecai has placed Esther in an impossible position. Either she tries to get the king to change his mind. She goes to the king. But there is a very high chance that this will lead to her death, because in Persia at this time, any man or woman who approached the king in the uncourt was liable to be put to death. That was the law. And Esther says, well, it's 30 days since I was called to the king. And, and she has no choice about when she goes to the king so she can try. And enter the king's presence and get him to change his mind or she can do nothing but then she risks being exposed as a jew and there's a very high chance that this will lead to her death as well Mordecai says to her do not think that because you are in the king's house you alone of all the jews will escape it's a heads i win tells you lose situation esther is in an impossible position go to the king very high chance of death don't go to the king very high chance of death and that's where we left the story last week on an almighty cliffhanger what will esther do i imagine she has mordecai's words ringing in her ears and who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this but let's face it, Esther has come to royal position through state-sponsored abuse of young women, through injustice, through injustice on which the book of Esther is silent. But now, five years later, Esther's situation doesn't seem so terrible. Esther, like many people in the world, like you may be, is making the best of the cards dealt her in an unjust world. Esther, we read in chapter 2, verse 15, won the favour of everyone who saw her. Five years after her forced marriage, she does have some privilege in the court of the king. We know she has attendants and servants, people who look after her, who take messages for her, people who we see later prepare banquets for her. She probably has very limited freedom outside the court. But Esther is making the best job of the cards dealt her in an unjust world. And now she comes to her moment of choice. Will she or won't she identify with her people, with God's people? Will she go to the king and plead for them, risking death? Or will she take her chances and keep silent, perhaps using her limited power to duck and dive out of the impossible situation because Esther seems really smart to me. And I completely understand why she would not want to rock the boat. She's already been through so much. Esther's heart is not revealed to us as we read this story. But I think we can imagine a tussle going on in her heart. I mean, she wasn't jumping at the chance to risk her life. She'd made it clear to Mordecai that the punishment for entering the king's presence uninvited was death. But we don't get to see her internal struggle. But I think there are are enough clues in the text to imagine that there was one. I mean, perhaps this is why she is the only person in the book to have two names. The struggle for Esther is between Hadassah and Esther, between the Jew and the Persian queen. So let's read what she does next. Chapter 4, verse 15. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Esther has chosen. Esther chooses to be Hadassah, She remains Esther in name, her Persian name, but by her actions, she has decided to stand with the people of God. For the rest of the book, Esther says, my people. She is very clear. Whatever the internal struggle may have been, her defining action is to stand with the people of God. And the first thing she does after she makes that decision is to ask her people to gather together, to fast with her, to spend three days with her in solidarity. Esther, I think rightly, has no confidence in the mercy of King Xerxes. But amazingly, she does have confidence that even though they have been in exile for over 70 years and some of them have left to return to Jerusalem, the people of God who remain in the city will stand in solidarity with her. Just think there are thousands of people across Susa fasting with Esther and her attendants. And that must have been real comfort. When things are bad, we need the consolation and support of others. Now, for us, it's a little bit different. We are not born into the family of God like Esther was. We don't have that genetic heritage. Rather, we are adopted as sons and daughters through Jesus. Paul writes in the New Testament to both Jews and non-Jews in the letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew or Gentile, neither slave or, nor free, neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you believe in Christ Jesus, here this evening or listening online, you belong to the people of God, just like Esther. You are part of the people of God. With all our flaws and mixed motives and internal struggles, ultimately this is our identity. We are Hadassah, not Esther. We are rescued, not lost. We are redeemed, not condemned. And we are known by God. We are God's people. The seed of Abraham, heirs according to the promise. And that promise is that God will rescue us through Jesus. And being God's people is open to anyone who comes to Jesus. We may not be faced with such a dramatic choice as Esther, but Esther's immediate reliance on the support of her people encourages me, it really encourages me and I hope it encourages you to choose the family of God like I know so many of you do, but to choose the family of God not just once but over and over and over again no matter what struggles come your way. Powerful leaders in this world come and go. There isn't much safety in the world. There isn't much peace, is there, or economic fairness. And let's face it, none of us is getting out alive. So Esther encourages me, and I hope you, that no matter how much power we have, no matter how much, how weak we are, how strong we are, no matter how rich or poor or sick or well or how many internal struggles we have, We have the dignity of being able to choose to be God's people through Jesus and to choose to show up for each other. I want to live my life with you and my other brothers and sisters, those in Christ who love me, care for me, encourage me, infuriate me, spur me on, hold me in their prayers and sometimes in their arms. Whatever Esther's internal struggles with her, whatever Esther's internal struggles were, her defining action was to identify herself as belonging to the people of God. I pray that whatever your struggles are, whatever my struggles are, our defining action is to identify ourselves as belonging to the people of God. Let's continue reading Esther chapter 5. Esther chapter 5 verse 1. On the third day Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. After three days, with the backing of her people, Esther approaches the king. I mean, I'm guessing she was really scared, despite her statement, If I perish, I perish. She must have been really scared, despite wearing her royal robes to remind the king of her status. Because after all, she is breaking Persian law. She has no right to expect anything but death. But we know, as the reader of the book of Esther and other parts of the Bible, that the real power in the story of Esther is the power of God to rescue God's people, no matter how scared we are. Mordecai hinted at that when he said in chapter 4, verses 14, deliverance for the Jews will come from another place. So by coincidence, or God incidents, or the providence of God, Xerxes is in a good mood on the day Esther stands before him. She's done it. She's done it. She's gained access to the king. She wasn't sentenced to death. I wonder if you imagine in your mind's eye Esther standing before the king. I wonder whether if any songs or hymn lines come to your mind, especially for those of you who have been around church for a long time. These two came to my mind. In royal robes I don't deserve, and bold I approach the eternal throne. So let's think about in royal robes I don't deserve. When we place our trust in Jesus, we are clothed in Christ. Like it says in the Galatians verse we read earlier. In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptised into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You may not have fancy clothes. You may not have much money to have fancy clothes. You may not wear clothes very well. You may not be into clothes. It does not matter. You can come to Christ as you are, dressed in royal robes. We are clothed in many things because of Jesus Christ. Perfection, holiness, forgiveness, righteousness. These are our royal robes given to us in love. And with these robes on, we can approach God's throne. It reminds me of a verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 4 verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We sing, don't we, bold, I approach the eternal throne. And that's based on Hebrews 4, verse 16. Esther couldn't guarantee Xerxes' response. He was fickle, he was powerful, he didn't have much integrity, he was violent like many kings of the period, and he was influenced by evil. He was influenced by characters like Haman. Xerxes was not a good king. In stark contrast, we have a king who is wholly good. King Jesus is wholly good. Who, despite having power beyond measuring, power far greater than the Persian Empire, came to us and will always Always welcome us into his presence. We are clothed in Christ and have permanent access to Christ and permanent access to God. Now, I know it doesn't always feel like it. I know sometimes God is silent. I know the world is unjust, and God is silent a lot in the book of Esther. But the book of Esther assures us that. God has power to rescue God's people. That's you and me. And if you don't have the faith to believe that right now for yourself, let the people of God gather round and believe it for you. In fact, I'm going to pray that for us, anyone listening to this online right now. Lord God, sometimes, no, often, the world is unjust unfair and just plain difficult. Sometimes our faith in you, in your rescue, in your goodness is so small. I pray for anyone listening to this here in this room or online or or elsewhere who experiences struggles of faith right now. May they put themselves in places so that other people can gather round them. Help us to be the people of God who show up for others. Amen. Let's read the final part of our passage. Esther chapter five, verses three to eight. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. He didn't really mean that. That was just a saying that meant he wanted to give her something. If it Pleases the king, replied Esther. Let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, Now what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be granted. Esther replied, My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favour and if it pleases the king to grant my request, my petition and fulfil my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. This is just great storytelling, isn't it? Just when you think she's going to ask the big question, King Xerxes, will you save my people? By the way, I'm really a Jew. Surprise. She doesn't. Instead, she asked the king and Haman, the arch enemy of the Jews, to a banquet. And then when you think she's going to ask the final question, the vital question, finally, she asks them to another banquet. Now, there could be lots of reasons why she does this. Having gained access to the king, maybe she just needs a breather before she asks her controversial question. Maybe she wants to get the king drunk. Maybe she has seen how other requests are made in the court. Maybe she has an instinct that Haman will reveal himself to be the two-faced narcissist that he is. We don't know. But the delay means that there is time for other events to unfold in the story of the rescue of the people of God. And Andrew's going to tell you about those next week. Don't miss it. It's the real pivot point. It's the turning of the tide in the story. So I think for us, I I don't think the lesson is always wait before acting, though in some situations that might be useful. I don't think the lesson is get dressed up in your best clothes before a difficult meeting, though, again, it may help you to feel better. I don't think the lesson is always ask a difficult question at a meal, though, again, you may find that useful sometimes. I think the lesson that I have learned over the last few weeks from looking at the passage is this. Whatever Esther's internal struggle Whatever her background and past experiences, her action was to reveal herself as belonging to the people of God. God does the big plans. God has the power. She just needed to reveal herself as belonging to him. Now, you may have immediately thought while I'm speaking of how God is calling you to reveal yourself as God's person. Now, tomorrow, this week... Maybe you need to get baptised. Maybe you need to pray with others. Maybe you need to say yes to something or no to something else. Whatever it is, I pray that you will, in God's strength, be able to reveal yourself as belonging to God and God's people. Reveal yourself to be a loved, known child who often and boldly approaches God's throne of grace, clothed in royal robes. God bless you.